Well, it's good to be here, isn't it? I, I trust that you could enter into those songs from the bottom of your heart, that you also believe the things that uh, we are uh, singing about, we're going to be preaching about. And one of the things that I want to talk to you about today is this. Now, some of you have little ones. Some of you have raised little ones on up through graduation of high school and beyond. Did you realize that it is now estimated that to get from that point to that point is about $230,000. So if you wondered why you had to buy the single burger instead of the double burger, now you understand why. That's one way of uh, trying to register the cost of raising children. But I think there's no simple formula for calculating the cost in terms of our emotions, the physical exertion involved, how to replace all the hair that falls out, things like that. But in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, thank you for putting that up earlier today. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus decreed, I will build my church. And that wasn't just good intentions. That was a decree. It's something that was going to happen. It has happened and it continues to happen. It will continue to happen until the church is complete. Because as we have sung a few times today, this is part of God's sovereign plan. But the price tag for that is even more than raising children. The price tag for birthing souls and for maturing them into local churches is incalculable. For instance, it cost the father his son. A very familiar verse, but it never gets old because we never cease to need this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We're going to talk some in this message today about the church. But let it be known, let it be known clearly, that people are not saved by joining a church. Churches don't save. We can't save ourselves. There's only one Savior And he's the one referred to in John 3.16. It's not by our efforts, but through what he has done and who he is. By trusting him alone. That is how our sins are forgiven. That is how we have a guaranteed place in the presence of God throughout all of eternity. God loved. He gave his son. We believe in him. We trust in him. Therefore, we do not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. But when it comes to the birthing of souls, seeing people saved, the building of churches, the planting of churches, the people of God are called upon to withhold nothing in gospel work. On one occasion, Jesus said, from now on you will be catching men 
And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. That's what's expected in our work in following our Savior, to promote his cause, not to seek our glory, but to promote his cause and to grow his church. Now, gospel hope is passionate for evangelism and for church planting. You hear quite a bit about that if you come here very often. But there is another essential component in building Christ's church. And I have been uh, asked, and I sure appreciate the opportunity, uh, I've been asked to, to share with you that we are also committed to strengthening the churches as the Lord gives us opportunity to do that. This is often these days called revitalization. Now, we as a local church have benefited greatly from those who have come alongside here. And and they have strengthened this ministry and propel us forward. We we are greatly blessed through those who have a, a vision for revitalization. But in our gratitude, may we recall the words of Luke chapter 12 and verse number 48, Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. So let's soak up the blessings. Let's be joyful. Raising our hands in worship. Let's do that. Let's enjoy these blessings. But let us not bottle up those blessings. Let's share them with others. It's my prayer that this message will give us a heart for investing ourselves, even sacrificially, if necessary, as I'm calling it today, when the mission is making good churches better or revitalization. Uh, To get a biblical understanding of what this means, uh, I'd like us to turn to Acts chapter 15 today. Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41. The first thing I see in this passage, in the narrative in the book of Acts, boy, Acts is an exciting book. It really is. Uh, The book of Acts, uh, at this point, would have informed us that much seed had been sown. Much seed had already been sown. We certainly read that on the pages of Scripture in that first verse of the passage before us. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of God. You read those those words, and they may not register as being really exciting, but then you need to back up and, and read the passage before that and see what he's talking about, all the things that had just happened in what is now known as the first missionary journey. Well, Paul and Barnabas had preached the word in places like Salamis and Paphos on the island of Cyprus. They had moved on to Perga, Antioch, and Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. And of course, you know where all those places are. Automatically, you can think of that. (laughs) Pinpointing them on the Mediterranean map. 
Boy, it had been exciting. If, if you were to go back, here's just some highlights of what had happened in that first missionary journey. They had confronted at least one false prophet. They had witnessed the salvation of a Roman proconsul. Imagine that. Uh, experienced the loss of a valued team member. That was heart-wrenching. Engaged in synagogue evangelism. That always had an element of excitement about it. Saw virtually a whole town on one occasion show up to hear the gospel. Wow! Just amazing. that They were instruments of divine miracles that God worked through them. They had to reject attempts by some to worship them as gods because of those miracles. <laughs> but they did reject worship. Worship belongs only to the one true God. They had encountered enormous hostility, violent hostility, bone-breaking hostility, but through it all, they were blessed with a fruitful harvest of souls. Now that's what had just happened. It's estimated they traveled about 1,600 miles in the process, in something less than two years, maybe about 18 months. We don't know the exact timing of that. But as we go back to Acts chapter 14, and you don't need to turn to all these passages, but in Acts 14, we find a reference to the appointing of elders in churches. Now that's exciting, because that tells us churches were established. Churches were planted in that first missionary journey. Through all of the excitement and opposition, churches were there now. That had never been there before. Before returning to their sending church, probably still in pain from his recent beating on that first missionary journey, Paul was actually moved to encourage and strengthen new believers in their struggle and, and to go on in their faith. This was part of the first missionary journey. He kind of doubled back around to the churches that had been established, and it says in, uh, pardon me, actually in, in that same passage, verses 21 and 22, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. This is even during that first missionary journey they did this. Strengthening the souls, underscore that, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So Paul did have a great burden not only for evangelism and church planting, but for realizing you don't love them and leave them. He went back almost immediately to encourage them because the same kind of opposition that he and, and Barnabas had encountered, these new believers were sure to encounter as well. Now, much seed had been sown on that first missionary journey. We see that on the pages of Scripture, but you know what? It's also true in the present. Much seed has been sown. We're certainly glad for people who have arrived within the last year or two or three. But much seed has been sown. And those who have been seed sowers do not desire any glory, I, I assure you. 
things change over the years. From our first deputation picture to a picture taken just a few months ago, it's the 50th anniversary of our association with our mission agency. We have had the privilege of witnessing the work of God in this place. It's been exciting. I guess this is our first missionary journey too. It's only gone on now for 50 years. It started for us here in the state of Utah in 1971. I was asked to throw in a little personal stuff today, so that, that's why I'm subjecting you to things like this. <laughs> Within our mission agency, and I can't speak definitively for other mission agencies, good people that have been here at work over the years, but in our mission agency, over those times in, in the state of Utah, there had been more than 25 supported missionaries at work in the state. Scores of tent makers have come to help us over the years. More than 10 churches have been planted or attempted. We have been assisted by well over 1,000 short-term volunteers. Perhaps the number's 2,000. I never counted them all. Only God knows how many gospel tracts have been distributed, how many surveys administered, how many souls saved and baptized, some of whom are now in heaven. And God does receive all the glory for what has been accomplished. But folks, there is much more work to do than has been done. And I believe a portion of that work is in following the example of the Apostle Paul to strengthen churches that have been established. Just as Paul left Titus on the island of Crete, we read in Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, for the purpose that you might put what remained into order. There's much more to be done. They were led, as you, as you know, as we have mentioned already, they were led to see how these churches were doing. The first uh, journey, a missionary journey, was complete. And now Paul says that he wanted to, uh, to see what was going on. Now, progress is the challenging thing. He wanted to see how they were doing, how they were progressing with all the challenges that they were facing, to see how they are. Do we have a concern for how churches are doing? I trust we have a good concern for how this church is. We, we, we need to do that starting here, but to think of others as well. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 8, it says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, from the satanic perspective, so much the better if he can devour whole congregations through discouragement, through division, through inaction. 
perhaps through scandal, or perhaps through extinction. By definition, a Pollyanna attitude is to be excessively cheerful or optimistic. Somehow I have a rough time criticizing that because we have a lot of pessimists sometimes too. But being Pollyanna is not good either because we must not pretend that all is sweetness in life when there are problems, when there are needs still to be met. The reality is, after a local church is planted, there can be great struggles. Because making progress is not an assured thing. It's not automatic. It really isn't. The New Testament records the spiritual condition of seven first century congregations. Ephesus. For all of their good points, and they had many, yet they had left their first love. And that was going to be fatal for them. Now, Smyrna was a church that suffered a great deal, but they were commended by our Savior for being obedient. Amen. Amen. Pergamos is known as a compromising church. Now, it's easy to do that, to cut corners here and there, to avoid confrontations and just to try to overlook things and hope it goes away. Compromising church. Thyatira. An immoral church. Can you imagine? Sardis. Dead. A dead church. It looked like they were alive, but the Lord could see through the facade. Dead. Philadelphia, on the other hand, was known as a faithful church. Laodicea forever will be known as the lukewarm church. Well, you can see the mixture here. Not all these churches were progressing at the same rate. Some were going forward, some had gone backward. That's what happens with church plants. That's what happens. And today, when we think about this subject of revitalization, strengthening churches, not all churches that could benefit from a helping hand are the same. Uh, not all are diseased, disobedient, or decrepit. They may be baby churches, simply needing to grow toward self-support. Or they may be exhausted churches from valiantly pressing forward against a relentless culture, wearied in well-doing, but could really benefit from some strength, some new strength, some new people, some new ideas. Revitalization, so you can see, is, is an individualized thing. And it is thus accomplished in a respectful atmosphere of mutual agreement. And that's what we have enjoyed here. It's been a blessing. Now, back in the first century, Paul was 
rightly concerned. He wanted to see how these churches were doing that had been established. Now, every member of every local church needs to perform a self-examination. How are we doing individually? How are we doing as a congregation? We need to be careful because excitement and size can easily skew our vision. Ephesus was an example of that. They apparently had grown to some size and they had so many good things happening and they seemed to be excited about a lot of things, but they were criticized by Jesus. Too many former church buildings, yes, even in Utah, erected at great cost, cost of devotion and finances, are now offices, are now antique shops, or maybe museums. The Hagia Sophia in Istanbul was a large early church in Asia Minor. It became a mosque. When I visited it, it's a museum. And literally, around the outside of this ancient building, rubble from a former church building. Broke my heart to see it. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, here's how we can avoid going backwards and even out of, out of business. The, the great apostle wrote, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We need the strengthening of God, which can also be exerted through God's people in order that the gospel might be fully preached. It might go forward. Let me say it again. Scripturally, as well as practically, we must persevere in caring about churches, our own and others. Because so easily, territory that has been won can be forfeited. I could name former congregations that no longer exist in the state of Utah. Some of them had reached numbers well over two or three hundred. They're gone and forgotten by most people. You have to be my age almost even to remember them. Well, we must persevere. We come to this curious portion of Scripture. In some ways, it's shocking. Uh, in, beginning in verse number 37 of our text. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them, they're talking about going back and visiting these churches now. Uh, Barnabas wanted to take with him John, called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been 
commended by the brothers to the grace of God. Well, Paul wisely sensed that he should revisit and strengthen the churches, and Barnabas wanted to take Mark. Paul disagreed because Mark was the guy who had left them on that first missionary journey. This argument, as you can see, became so sharp that Paul and Barnabas parted company with each other. Wow. Now, these are good guys. These are both really good men. But now the Lord overruled. Two missionary teams instead of one were formed. And it appears that both teams were committed to strengthening the churches. Though we know that Paul and Silas also engaged in additional pioneer ministry on their second missionary journey. Some have observed that probably both Paul and Barnabas were right in their assessments of Mark, just from a different perspective, looking at different things about this young man's life. He turned out to be a better fit with his cousin Barnabas, I guess. That can happen. Things like that can happen. But we must not withdraw from work because of some disagreement like this. We carry on as we sense the Lord is leading us. Paul later spoke of Barnabas and Mark in positive terms in uh, passages of the, of the New Testament. Strengthening churches, whether our own or others, is a noble and necessary task, so we should not be surprised that the evil one would actively make every attempt to disrupt strengthening churches. If he couldn't stop the establishment of the churches, the devil would like to put them out of existence. And if, he, if, if we're not continually strengthened, we lose strength and we can die. Every obstacle that would thwart strengthening established churches must be overcome. Let us put aside every weight which would, so the old King James says, easily beset us. We need to do that. Well, so they did commit themselves to the strengthening of the churches. It required personal involvement. That's, that's what happens if we would strengthen churches. It requires personal involvement. Uh, Paul actually did go through Syria and Cilicia in this pursuit. He did that. Are we willing to be involved in strengthening churches who may need precisely what we have to offer? Would we do that? Uh, the Bible transparently reveals accounts of some reluctant servants. Moses was a reluctant servant. Some of you may recall this. Uh, Gideon, not our Gideon, but another Gideon who lived a long time ago. He was a reluctant servant as well. Uh, Jeremiah, he, he made all kinds of excuses. He, he, he couldn't speak. He couldn't do a thing. Prophet. He, he couldn't do a thing. He was reluctant. Uh, Esther, it says of Esther in, in, in verse 4 and, and 16, she said, I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. I'm not sure that's the most upbeat attitude of going out and serving God. But, you know, good for her. She, she was willing to do it, even if it cost her her life. Good. These reluctant servants, 
actually became very effective servants. For saying, I'm not sure that I, I'm into getting out there and helping struggling churches. But somebody needs to do that. It needs to be done. Now, strengthening churches means that, that we will enter realms of relative weakness, discouragement, diminished size, limited resources, shortages of teachers and probably every other position, imperfect music, and very possibly an atmosphere unconducive to attracting or keeping visitors. Wow. Any volunteers? Well, this is not a ministry for everyone, but it must be for some. It's a biblical thing. Since March of 2018, it's been my privilege to assist a number of ministries. I, I consider this assistance, this strengthening of churches, to be as authentically missionary and as satisfying as anything I've ever done. You see, Paul not only planted, but he strengthened churches. I think we need to be very sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit in these matters. As was Isaiah. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. We love Gospel Hope Church. Why would we want to leave here and go to some struggling place? If that's what the Spirit says, we'd best do it. Making this principle of strengthening churches a reality required not only personal involvement, but let's say it, action. Not just a good intention, not just shaking our heads and say, yeah, well, that's a good idea. It, somebody had to get at it, and so they actually went out there and they did it, strengthening the churches. How do, you, how do you strengthen churches but to exert some strength of your own, your own energy to do that? We sometimes mistakenly equate planting churches with establishing churches. The word here for strengthening actually is the one for establishing. And it can be an ongoing process of daily, weekly, monthly active labor, which can span decades. There are churches in Utah that were planted 30 or 40 years ago that still struggle. And they're small. And they need strength. Some of them just need a good piano player. Seriously. It would revitalize them. But there's also plenty of room in this word for teachers, mechanics, builders, electricians, plumbers, janitors, shovelers, especially babysitters, cooks, donors, shovelers. Strengthening the churches. 
God honors the efforts of those who step up to meet this need. How does he do so? Well, in Acts chapter 16 and verse 5, it says, So the churches were strengthened. Second missionary journey. So so the, the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. That's a good thing. So yes, it is estimated that the cost of raising a child to age 17 now exceeds $230,000. I know that's so encouraging to hear. But what parent among us would hesitate to give all that we have in that effort? We read in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Will we do that? Will we give ourselves to the advancement and the strengthening of his church? Now our pastors here are striving to implement the pattern of Ephesians 4.12 to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And that's not only local. The building up of the body of Christ is not just at 118.69 South 2700 West. So here's the question. Here's the question. How Will we respond when the mission is making good churches better? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take this message and apply it to our hearts and our lives. Lord, we are so thankful for what you've done here. We praise you for what you've done here. And Lord, we praise you for what you will be doing in the future here and in other places. May we willingly, even eagerly, take our our places in that work. And Father, there would be no churches. There would be no one to praise you if it weren't for the sending of your Son to die for us on the cross. He did indeed give his life, shed his blood, that we might have eternal life. In his precious and worthy name I pray, amen.